Well, once again, it is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. We can turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Last week, we really, in chapter 1, we introduced the book, and we had a uh, really just a rundown on where are we as Christians? You know, where are you as an individual, and what brought you to this place? And it's not all the good stuff that you've done or the bad stuff you avoided. It is the fact that you know Jesus, that you've accepted Jesus. And so today in chapter 2, you know, in the book, just to bring us all together, the book is basically Paul writing this saying, and this is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to know the Lord. And Galatians, you know, it's interesting, that book was written to say, down with the rules and the laws. You know, quit worrying about what everybody says you need to be doing or don't need to be doing. Uh, Ephesians, he says, but then it's supposed to look like something. Uh, You know, and so if you are depressed, uh, if you're full of anxiety, uh, if you are a Christian who has come to a place where you look at your past life and you say, it doesn't look any different than where I'm at today. If that's you, something's gone wrong, okay? And this book, and especially this chapter today, is going to nail it on the head. So you'll leave here today, I'm not saying you'll be fixed, but you'll leave here today knowing what the problem is. And so... You know, most Sundays, I, and we, we're going to do that today too, just teach this verse by verse, but I really do want to challenge you all as we go through this chapter to judge yourselves lest you be judged, as Jesus said. If we would start looking at our own lives, you know, here's the thing, just because you go stand in a garage doesn't make you a car, you know. Just because you sit in that seat today doesn't make you a Christian, And just because you're here doesn't mean you'll be there in heaven. So there's something else. You have to have Jesus in your heart, and you have to really have Jesus in your heart. You can't just say, I've got Jesus in my heart. You can tell others around town all day long you're a member of my family. I don't think you are. (laughs) I've got three kids and, uh, and a wife, and they're my family, so it's... You know, there's some things, there's some steps involved for you to be part of the family. You have to be adopted into the family. And that's sort of how God is. He says, wait a minute, just because you say you're getting into heaven doesn't make it so. You have to be adopted into the family. You have to become a son or a daughter of God. And so make sure that's really where you're at. And just because you are in a pastor's family, just because you're in the church family, just because you've been, and you can start listing the years. I've been in this so many years as a Christian. None of that actually matters. You know, you can die when you're 10 or die when you're 90, and it doesn't matter how long you've walked with God. It matters if you have Jesus in your heart. So the years, the time, what you've done, what you haven't done, none of it matters. So you say, well, what matters? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You, he made alive. Uh, in the Greek, that's you. That's a very uh, endearing you. It's, a, it's in the singular tense. So it's you. So personal. Take this letter this morning as you're listening to this very personally. You, he made alive. And then in case you don't understand what alive is, he says, who were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins. So let's talk about that for a minute. What is dead and trespasses and sin? Well, trespasses means you trespassed. You went into something where you didn't belong, right? That's what we would, if you come onto somebody's property, you'd say you're trespassing. That's because you're somewhere you don't belong. You know, it's interesting. When I was young, I was saved when I was um, four or five. Um, Went to a crusade, got saved. You know, when you're four or five, you're literally saying the words. You know, did I know for sure that I was saved when I was four or five? No. Looking back, I said the words. I was aimed in the right direction. Uh, My parents did a wonderful job aiming me the right way. But my faith wasn't my own. I was definitely emulating, you know, 
my parents, and I was in a, you know, grew up in a wonderful Christian home. So I was very pushed towards, you know, the Lord and knowing the Lord and those things. Um, but the, the fact is, is when I was born, I was dead in my trespasses and my sins. Because for many years, up until my early teens, well, late teens, high school years, I was trespassing. <laughs> I, I made it my endeavor to trespass. It's like, don't go here, you know, and my parents... And they represented the Lord to me, and they literally did because my dad was a pastor. So not only was it my, you know, my pastor, but it was my dad. So I was like, it was double bad for me. Pastor's kids have it the worst. Um, but you know, I was dead in my trespasses. I was always going to places I shouldn't be, doing things I shouldn't do, involved in things that I shouldn't have been involved in, um, all sorts of things, relationships, all of it that I shouldn't have been involved in. I was trespassing. There was a rebelliousness in me because I knew I knew where I should be aimed. You know, I wasn't the idiot on the island, you know, thing. Everybody throws it up with God. What about the guy on the island, you know? How does he know? What, what happens to him when he dies if he never heard the gospel? Like, if you're so worried about it, go tell him. Um, but if not, you know, what happens is he dies in, in his sin over there never hearing about Jesus, so then you have to turn to other pieces of Romans and various passages to figure out, well, well does he know the Lord or not? We won't get into that, but that wasn't me. I could make that argument all day long. That wasn't me. I knew about Jesus, and um, my parents saw to it. I grew up in church and everything, but I was still dead in my trespasses, and I was actively aimed at trespassing. <laughs> And sins. So if it's like, well, trespasses doesn't hit me, fine. He's going to say it. And sins. Sin. What does that mean? It's an old, old English word. It's made its way into our Bible today, and we've turned it into a Christian term. But it was actually an archery term way back in the day. And um, in archery, if you aim your arrow towards the target. Now, get the whole picture here. A sin isn't when you aim the opposite direction and fire and go, I'm going the opposite way of what I should be doing. And then there's like, you missed it. The mark, the mark is the center of a target. So when you miss the mark, you sinned, is what they would say. Well, most archers aim at the target. In life, good people aim to hit the mark, right? And then when you miss it, you sin. So what is sin? Is sin willful disobedience? Yes. It can mean that you're aimed totally the wrong way, trespassing, going the wrong way in life. Or you could just have sinned. In other words, well, I meant to do good. Most of us, if you're sitting in church today, that's you. I meant to do good. I meant to not miss the mark in life so many times. Well, you still sinned. <laughs> you missed it. And according to the Lord, a, a inch is as good as a mile. You, know? you missed the mark. I missed the mark. The good news is, is we were dead. Verse 1, so, so cool to me. We were dead. That, I just now described where we all came from. We were, we were this way. But then we, through our works and through all of the straining and toil, we've become alive. No. And you, he made alive. We were very busy trespassing, running the wrong direction, sinning, missing the mark, even when we were trying to do good. But God came into our lives, into your life, into mine, and he, he grabbed you. And when you accepted Jesus, the chapter 1 says that his spirit came into your life, and it took up residence, and it sealed you. We talked about that last week. And he came into your world. You know, it's kind of like in, in if you're talking around boxers, uh, you know, you say you want, if you're a good boxer, you, you need to learn to get on the inside and you step into their world <laughs> and light them up. Anyway, um, so you want to step on the inside. In other words, um, you don't want at, at just that right distance to where they whack you. You want to get on the inside where you can get an uppercut. You, you just step into their world. Well, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what God does when you accept him. He steps into your world and he's all over you. He seals you with his Holy Spirit. 
and he knocks you flat on your back. And he starts showing you everywhere you're messing up, everywhere you're not connecting, everywhere where, where you are missing the mark, even where you're trying to do good. And you know what? It just absolutely tears you up, didn't it? Tore me up. And the more that I strained to do good works, the worse I did in those early years. I'm not ever going to do this again or that again next week. Ah, I did it again. Lord, what's wrong with me? And there's this strain and this struggle to know the Lord. Yet, the strain and the struggle tells me something. Have you ever seen anything, animal, person, anybody that was dead? If you noticed one thing, I bring it to your attention, is they didn't struggle. They're dead. They're dead here in their trespasses and sins. A dead person or animal is just dead. If you're struggling, you're alive. He made you alive, and now you struggle. You don't, you're not alive just to live. You're alive to struggle. So if you're here this morning saying, I don't have it figured out, I'm still struggling. I'm struggling. Good. That means you're alive. And now we've got something to work with. Um, if you're dead, I, there's very little I can do. Very little God can do once you're dead. That's why he says now is the accepted time for salvation. It's while you're still struggling and you're alive, you see. You he made alive with his spirit who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. Walked, you know, is interesting. If you've ever walked, it's to go from point A to point B. So it's a journey. You're going to go from one place to another. In this world, as you live, that walk is from death, uh, or from birth, rather, to your death. It's a walk. It's a journey. You know, in Australia, it's a walkabout. You know, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to walk around, and we're going to get somewhere. Well, you once walked down one path, and it was according to the course of this world. So in other words, the rules by which you governed yourself. The rules. What you said was right or wrong, that's what you governed yourself with. What the world said was right or wrong. So, you know, today, um, not a real popular subject to say that homosexuality biblically is a sin. That's what the Bible says. Um, Now, what we want to do is we say, "Mm, I don't like that. So what we're going to do is rewrite that and say, I think that God loves them and God loves me, so I'm going to theorize and say that it's okay. And like, well, you made a lot of theories and you're wrong. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God says. It, you see, righteousness, that word, we always make it into a holy word. It's a simple word. It's what God says is right. Righteous. That's it. It's real simple. If you say you're righteous according to your righteousness, well... It's not God's righteousness. So I can be right. I'm not taking that away from you. You can be right according to you. You can have rules for yourself on how you deal with your relationships. I think it's okay to sleep around before I get married. I think that's perfectly fine. That's your righteousness. It's the righteousness of man. You can even go further and say, oh, I'll only sleep around if it's somebody that I love. Or if we've only been on dates for three, you know, three times, or we all these stupid rules people have. Great. I'm not saying that's right or wrong according to your righteousness, but the Bible says that's a bad idea. That's what the Bible says. So what we do in our culture and what we are doing is we're rewriting our own rules. Sounds a lot like the end of Judges to me. It says there, look at the last verse sometimes. And they did what was right in their own eyes. They were doing what was right, but according to God, they're still missing the mark. Back to our our chapter today. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Can't go really into that today. We've got a lot to cover, but the prince of the power of the air is Satan. Satan, if you go all the way back to uh, Genesis, and then you you fast forward and look at Matthew, um, where the Lord was tempted, you'll see one common theme with Satan 
Satan with Eve, he used deception. Satan, when he tempted Jesus, he used deceptive words. And in your life and mine, he's going to use deception. He'll always use deception. He'll make things look worse than they really are in your life. He'll make things of the world look pleasant. He sugarcoats everything. And God's way is usually sort of like eating vegetables. Okay? You just, you just hate the things, you know? Um, they're, they're fibrous and they're just nasty and they can tell you all day long how good they are for you and you just don't like your vegetables, you know? But in the end, mom was right. The vegetables are good for you. And that's the word of God. You know, when he says, wait, you know, all of those relationships that you're having while you're dating and you're sleeping with this person and that person and the other, you're wrecking your life, you're giving pieces of yourself away. It's not love, it's lust. It's wrong. And you're wronging not just yourself, but you're wronging all those other people. If you bring little babies into the world due to all of your getting around town, it is, it is fleeting joy that is causing a lifetime of pain that other people will have to deal with. And it's also funny, you know, the Bible says your sin will find you out. It's so funny because sex is one of those things that you think, oh, nobody's going to ever find out. And it's the one thing that everybody ends up finding out about. You know, so what's done in the dark always comes to the light. That's just the truth. And God knows this already. So he's not against. In fact, to clear that little subject up, God invented it. You know, newsflash. God invented sex, and he meant it to be between you and your spouse and for it to be a wonderful thing. The Bible talks about it in many places, and it will be blessed. It'll be blessed. And there's nothing that's off the table. You can be who you're meant to be there. Open up in your marriage. But beforehand, he's got some rules. Satan comes along and says, oh, no. Well, here's something I can do. We'll put some sugar on this. We'll sugarcoat this. And I am fixing to sell this to everybody. Instant pleasure. And everybody buys into it. The lifetime of pain that comes after is hidden. Don't be deceived. You see, that's what Satan does. He deceives. So he's saying here, you thought all that stuff was right? No, it's according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Don't think there's not a spirit behind all of the world. The drugs, the addictions. You know, it's so funny because alcohol, that's a, that's a big one today. You know? And I'm not anti-alcohol. Never have been. There's, there's good purpose in it. The Bible never says not to drink. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've absolutely refused to preach against alcohol. But if you go into a liquor store, you know, you'll notice that the hard liquor, it's all, it's called spirits. It's called spirits. I wonder why, you know, because if you've ever seen somebody that drinks too much, you know, it's funny sometimes, but on the other hand, there's a serious side to it because you drink too much and you get drunk and there's a new spirit that can come into you and you can do things that you didn't mean to do. Again, some of it's funny, some of it's not so funny and it turns you into somebody else. You know, a lot of the people then that develop addictions and all of that, it's like, well, they got too close to the edge and now here they are. The Bible lays it out. You know, moderation is something you really need to practice. We need to work on these portals in our life that allow the enemy a foothold. You know, if you talk to World War II veterans, Pacific or, uh, uh, you know, the European theater, the war was fought the same everywhere. Our commanders, one objective did they have in the opening days of a war it was to establish a beachhead. It's the only way you take it, right? Beaches of Normandy, you remember that? You know, they, 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 the whole effort is to establish a beachhead because from there we can take the enemy. What does Satan do in your life, in your mind? 
he establishes a beachhead. So he gets you to accept a small truth that may be a white lie. Do you, do you know the difference, deception? And he gets a beachhead. And he just works with that then. We're stupid enough to fall for it. You know, I'm a pastor. I know my Bible. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. And I'm telling you daily, I go, oh, that's another beachhead. The enemy's just, he's just inroads into my life. Watch all these things. I mean, that's what John was writing uh, in First John especially. It was, dear children, watch for the enemy and what he can do to you. You don't understand his power, the deception. And it's all in your mind. Mental is what Satan works with. So that's, this is where we come from. So far, this has been a bad morning, hasn't it? All right, moving on, verse 3. Among whom we all also conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So more bad verses. Like, this is where we come from, guys. Now this is how we conduct ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Feels good, let's do it. Instant gratification, let's do it. I drink this, smoke this, do whatever causes me to be a little, whew, three sheets to the wind. Let's do it. You know, a lot of times if you're drinking and you get pretty much addicted to the stuff, you know, in the evening, you know, the whole idea is you drink and you say, is to, um, I need a, a drink to take the edge off. You know, I used to say that. It takes the edge off. Edge off of what? Well, edge off of your mind. Quit thinking about it all. You quit worrying about it. And uh, you can sleep. You know, takes the edge off. Makes you quit worrying about reality. And it puts you in a stupor. And Satan goes, yes, that's what I wanted him. I wanted you in a stupor. I wanted you to lose yourself in the moment. To not think about your future. And Jesus is saying, I came to give you a future and a hope. You see, the world is opposed to Jesus, diametrically opposed. It says in verse 3, when we were conducting ourselves in the lust of our flesh, we fulfilled the desires of the flesh, and look at that, and of the mind. So not only are you letting your body tell you what feels good and is good, and let's just, let's just live there, but also mentally, what's going to excite your mind? The things that you listen to, and the things that you watch, the things that you do, all it's all influence. It's just, it's just pouring into your body and influence over your mind. And were, again, past tense, this is you in the past, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Others what? Everybody in the world. Look at our world. If you don't believe in wrath in the world, look at 2020. We have the riots. You know, we had idiots out there this year rioting who didn't even know what they were rioting for. It's ridiculous. It's just like there's, a, there's pickets coming by, grab one. I mean, I, I've never seen such idiotic behavior. And some of the, you know, if you get on social media, you know, you've got uh, black guys standing on corners holding Confederate flags while a little white punk kid comes walking by uh, for BLM. And you're like, snap a picture. Only in America 2020 will you see that going on. But, you know, and then they're down with the Confederate flag. You're like, do you know what the thing stood for? Do you even know what it was? Uh, we were tearing down all the statues, Robert E. Lee and all the rest of the statues. You know, they went from there and then they start tearing down statues of Abraham Lincoln. You know, and I'm going, do they know what they're doing? No. I'll tell you what they were. They were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And they were by nature children of wrath. Everybody says, well, pastor, what's the answer? You should be in the middle of this fight. I don't want in the middle of it. You don't want me in the middle of it. I don't want in the middle of this deal. Here's the answer. And here's what all of the idiots that are in our country, here's what they need. They need Jesus in their heart. And they need it to be real. They need it to be real because this says, and were. That's a great uh, little word, were. If you ever taught English, you, mean, you know what that means. Were, not was, were. In the past. This is what we were. Just like all the rest of these people. 
But God. <laughs> but God. So four verses, three verses really of just junk, but God. At some point in your life and my life, there was that, but God. And I'm so thankful that there was a point in my life where I can say, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. So you go, well, why did God step into all of this? Why did God decide to be a part of your story? Because of his love, because he loves you. Even when we were dead in trespasses. So look at this. Now, there's a verse break, but there shouldn't be. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. That's tough. I've got three kids, like I said earlier now. I love my kids a lot. But I'm human. When they were younger, and they would do things that would just, you know, get under your skin. Um, You know, you've heard that my love has limits, you know, and all that. Yeah. They test it, don't they? I mean, kids test the limits of your love. And I loved them a whole lot more when they were being good than when they were being bad. Because I'm human. You're human. Never quit loving them, but it was it was a strain. But God, <laughs> because of this great love, loved us even when we were in our trespasses. So not to bring up bad memories, but think of the worst thing you've ever done in life, the thing that you're the most ashamed and embarrassed about the thing you hope nobody knows about god knows and god loved you with this great love while you were in the middle of committing it that's pretty amazing that is pretty amazing that would be like having a spouse that was cheating on you and you knew it and loving them the most in the middle of that act it's amazing It's an amazing love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, and this is what he did then, he made us alive together with Christ. So that's an interesting phrase. He made us alive together. Together means to be connected with. In other words, you were unsavable, actually. (laughs) On your own, he looked at you and went, nope, no, no chance here, no hope in you. There's nothing good here to save. But if I fuse Christ with you and his spirit, and we put his spirit in you, all of a sudden, I can save you. And when you stand before me to be judged, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to judge Jesus. And I'm going to say, you're good. You're covered with the blood of Christ, you see. So, even when you were dead in all of those trespasses, You've been made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So if you think this morning, oh, it's all the good things that I've been doing. No, it's just grace. He saw you. You've missed the mark. There's no chance in the world for you, but he extends grace to us. And then he raised us up together, verse 6 says, and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he raised you up together. You were going to hell in a handbasket. That's where we were all aimed. Now we've changed course and we are homeward bound to heaven. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So he's got a future plan for you and I. Our future was bleak before Christ, was it not? We didn't even know where we were going so fast. But now we have a future. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now he's going to elaborate on that in verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 8 and 9 just really go together. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Now, what happens, you know, as you you come through this chapter as you realize a before and after picture. You realize where you used to be. If you're sitting here today and you're truly saved, then you've got a past that you're ashamed of. You've got a past that you don't want to revisit. 
you've got a past that you don't feel like you can even get back to anymore if you've been saved for a long time. Because God has done a work in your heart to take you from it. Now, you might be sitting here and telling me, you know, obviously to yourselves going, uh, no, actually, Pastor, that's not how I feel at all. I feel like I have been struggling to know Jesus, but I still don't feel like I know Jesus. I feel like I've been trying to play the part. I think that I've been trying to fill in some shoes that were set in front of me, but I'm just trying to look good. It's not real then I would have you revisit the chapter because it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's you believing in Jesus and really and truly believing. And I'll tell you, I'll go a little further with this. When I was young, you know, I was saved, four or five years old. And then I ran hard from the Lord, as I said earlier. For many years, I was just running and he would bring me back and I was working through my salvation uh, with a lot of strife, it seems, you know. But I finally reached a point where it started setting into my heart and I started leaving the struggles and the trespassing and my aim became something different. God did a new work in my life. And what has to happen, and this is the people I want to reach out to because you've all heard the amazing stories, you know, the testimonies where, oh, I've you know, killed 50 people and I was drunk and I did this and I did that. And then I came to the Lord and then it's been amazing. And, and we all say, oh, I wish I had a testimony like that guy or that gal, you know. And uh, when I was young, because of growing up in a Christian home, I also wished for that. So you think, you know, well, I need to be a rebel first. I have to go and sow some wild oats. I've got to do something, you know, so that I can even have something for God to forgive me for. Romans addresses that I know. But, um, we we try to act out in order for God to have something to work in our lives. It, it's crazy. We're messed up. Um, I was messed up. You know, when I look at it now, it's like, well, I was a pretty good old boy, but I was still messed up. And I finally figured this verse out. By grace, you've been saved. It's not of works. I don't have to serve the Lord. I don't have to serve people. I don't have to do anything. God saved me and he loved me when I was in the middle of doing the worst thing that I've ever done in my life. It may not even be all that bad for some of you, you know. But God loved you in the middle of it and he saved you and it was his choice. You have to you choose, but it's his choice. It's all on him. And it's not of works. I'm glad that he clarified that. You don't have to do a bunch of good stuff in order to make it to heaven. We do a lot of good stuff. It's sort of like when you get married, you know. Um, I don't do nice things for my wife so that she'll love me. I do nice things for my wife because I love her. You see the difference? I'm not trying to give to get. She is already giving and so I give. It's like a circular. You know, I always tell young couples that if they're getting married, the, it's like a, the wedding ring, you know, it's like the circular thing. Um, if you want your husband or wife to love you, just love them. And the more that you love them, the more they'll love you. And the love grows through the years. And as soon as you start putting your affections on other things in the world, um, other people in the world, hobbies, you let weeds grow up in your marriage, well, before long they also start cultivating weeds and and the the circle gets broken you love a little less they love a little less you know you go the other direction and god's the same way you can have as much or as little of god in your life as you want that's why the bible says draw near to me and i'll draw near to you because that's how he works you see uh, but i love this verse not of works lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's not of works. In other words, our salvation is not of works, but we're created and we're his workmanship for good works. In other words, he did this big thing in your life and he's going to use you. He'll do things through you, bless others and let others know about Jesus through your life 
but that's not what's getting you to heaven. It's good to know. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the flesh of hands. Now that verse is kind of complicated, but what he's essentially saying is this. The legalistic Jews of the time, in other words, today it would be like the Christians that are the old, staunch Christians. They look at you and they judge you by what you did in your past. And what's happened is they forgot they've got one too. Everybody's got a past. Even the most staunch suit-wearing fellow you know, at your local old established church, they've got a past. They're just in denial. Better that you quit denying it. The worst kind of Christian is one that denies your past. You take your past and the things that you've come through and you use it as your testimony to tell others in front of you what God can do when you actually believe in Jesus. I'm serious. If you've struggled with addictions, help somebody else that's struggling and say, I was once where you are, and things can be different if it was real for you. If you're still sitting here today saying, but that's not me, I'm still struggling in all that stuff, then this chapter is for you, very pointedly, God is saying, then your salvation isn't real. That's what he's saying. Like, that's, that's hard. I know it is. I struggled with that. I struggled with whether to say that. But it's the truth. If you're struggling with these things forever and you're falling back into the world constantly, then the next question you need to ask yourself is, am I saved? Because if I'm saved, then I should be struggling. I shouldn't just be at ease falling back into this. Because what happens is in the way the Word of God works, if you come into church and you say, I want to look good, good works, do some good stuff, clean my life up, quit cussing quite as much, you know, whatever your thing is. And so you're going to clean it up a little bit. Well, uh, six months, a year, two years later, you just can't keep up the act anymore. It gets tough. It gets hard. So you fall back. And the rest of us are sitting around going, what happened? I thought they were on such a good track in life. What happened was that your faith was in your works. And your works are always going to fail. My works fail. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, well, then you got something solid. So judge yourselves. And, and truly, this morning, it's a great time to judge yourself and say, I'm failing and I'm falling. I want Jesus to become real in my life. Well, how do you do that? By putting your faith in Jesus, you're simply saying, I, I, I want to be a person who is covered, like chapter 1 said, with the seal of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I have been walking on my own. I want forgiveness of my sins. I want to accept you into my heart. I want to make it real this time. And I want you to come into my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. It's that simple. You put your belief in Jesus Christ so that when you die, he'll take you to heaven and you allow him and his law that he writes on your heart. Different for all of us in some ways. You let those things, in other words, he starts convicting you of things to make changes. You make those changes. And I can say, when I was in high school, I was saved, but the Holy Spirit did not have a hold of my heart in the way that I wish He did. I was so conflicted, and God continued to work with me. How do I know that I'm saved today? Because I worked it out with fear and trembling through many years of struggle, 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 and finally figuring out, you know what, that relationship, that is not right. It's not good. I'm not going to do that. Uh, this addiction, that addiction, this thing that I'm involved in, that thing I'm involved in, I've got to make changes. And you know what? Once I decided that I wanted to let Jesus have a hold of my life and be the Lord, it became a lot easier. Hard at first, but it became cemented. So now, 20-something years later, I can say, I am saved. You know, it's funny because you'll come to those places, as all of you know, the last uh, few years, I've had a lot of health struggles. Um, this last summer, I came to a, a new low where due to my health struggles, I was just, I was going, Lord, what is all this about? And you know, I got my eyes off of the ball, realistically, of heaven and saying, I don't believe in Jesus to save me from everything that happens here. I believe in Jesus so that when I die, I will be in heaven with the Lord. 
And I started looking at my struggles, the things I'm going through right in front of me, which are a lot some days. Last summer, they were terrible. I'm actually doing a little bit better today than I was then, but um, just feeling terrible. And you just end up going, God, are you there? Are you going to show up in my life? Are you going to show up around me? I was having a lot of issues with friends in my life along about last summer as well. I had to work through a whole bunch of stuff all at once. And here's where God took me. Do you believe in Jesus or not? And I finally have come to a place where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were, where they say, even if you don't, Save me. I'm not going to bow down to this world. I believe in Jesus Christ. And your faith remains intact. And you see, that's where I want you guys to get. He will put you through some trials in life to eventually bring you to a place where you say, my faith is in Jesus Christ. I don't care what this world does to me. You you can tear me apart. You can tear my finances apart, my business apart. You can burn me out. You can take my health from me. You can, you can take all my abilities away from me. You can rip all my friendships out of my life. You can rip everything out of my life. But I believe in Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that hasn't abandoned. So you will get there. And I'm telling you, this is one of these things where you want to get this straight in your mind today before you leave. Get it in your mind. Don't don't wait until you're in the middle of a really dark, dark place because you're going to end up sitting on a couch with some psychiatric helper who doesn't know anything, and they're going to be trying to dig into your mind, and you're not going to get anywhere, and you're going to go further down a rabbit hole, okay? That's where people are ending up, or you're going to end up, you, half of you may be on antidepressants this morning. I'm not saying I'm against them. Maybe you need them, but there's a different way. There's a better way. You're all going to end up on drugs if you don't give your life into Jesus Christ. Noah preached to a world, and he said, you're all going to drown in your sins. You're all going to be washed away in your iniquity. Your homes, your businesses, everything you think that matters is not going to matter when the Lord shows up one day. And they all went about their business and they all drowned. Now, the Bible tells us there's a fire coming. It's coming. Whether you believe it or not, it's coming. Death is coming for you all. All these things are real. Get ready today. And that's what God, that's what this is about. That's what he's working out in my life and in your life. And we come to a place for by grace you were saved through your faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. So, verse 12, at that time you were without Christ. In other words, before all of this, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, from strangers, uh, from the covenants of promise, you had no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Paul is just saying, look, Christ again, he's our hope. For he himself is our peace, who's made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. He abolished in his flesh the enmity. In other words, when he came and died on the cross, he abolished death. He, He abolished the chasm between us and God. That is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. In other words, the old law. He got rid of all of that stuff. And he says, all that's left is your faith and believing in Jesus Christ. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Therefore, putting to death the enmity. He came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. These are beautiful words because he's essentially telling us all, this is 
spiritually what Jesus did when he came on the cross. He didn't come to heal us all. He didn't come to fix your life. He didn't come to do all that. He came because death is a real problem. There's a finality to it. Have you noticed? You know, death is lethal. Uh, so <laughs> we, uh, we have a problem, and he came and he solved that. And then as he, uh, in, yeah, we can finish this quickly. The last few verses, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. That's what I said in the very beginning. You know, if you want to be part of my family, you've got to be adopted in. He says, look, if you'll accept Jesus and make him real, quit pretending, then you can become part of the family. You're not a stranger or a, a foreigner any longer. You're members of the household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you were also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Whole new concept right there at the end. The reason I wanted to read that is because this is pretty cool. If you will quit pretending, Quit being the weird person that hangs out at the back saying, I think I'm part of the family. I look like part of the family, but really, you're not. Quit pretending. If you'll actually accept Jesus in your heart and make it real this time, then you become part of the family of God. Now, I always thought, and a lot of people in church, they teach and they say, if you're part of the family, that means we love one another. That means we do stuff for one another. We hang out. We're a family. You and I both know that is just not true. We're all going to leave here today and go do our own things, right? Um, we're a spiritual family, but we're not a physical family. Everybody confuses the two. So a church family, yeah, we have cool Sundays. We eat together sometimes, you know. But as a whole, you know, I look out at you people and you look at me and go, yeah, we're not really friends, you know. <laughs> I don't really like you. You're not my kind of people. And I, when I look around the room, we all come from, you know, different places, different walks of life. Um, you know, you would say, well, let's go do this activity together. And then all the rest of the church would go, no, no, not that. You know, and somebody else says, let's go axe throwing. And somebody else, oh, no, and let's go shooting. And so other people, no, it's not. Let's, let's go to a basket weaving class, you know. And I'm going, no, not the baskets, you know. So we've, we've got all of these different things that we love to do. And that's who we are in different walks of life, you know. Some of us like deserts, some of us like trees, some of us cut trees down and burn them. I mean, you know, we're all different. Some of us, you know, we pet animals and love animals. I love animals. I like, I eat them all the time. But um, we, we all have different ideas, different walks of life. So we're really not compatible. When I look around you, you know, it's like church is kind of like Walmart. I mean, you just look around and go, wow, you know, this is odd people, you know. But if you love Jesus, and if I love Jesus, there's a brother and a sisterhood there. And what these verses is saying, we're not together yet, as I just went through, but we're being built together. It's a process, guys. One of these days in heaven, you're going to look around and go, and we fit. Jesus did it. We fit. And all the ones who were pretending are gone or else they quit pretending and they got real. My challenge to you as we end today, we've got a great future in Christ. You have no future here. None. There is no future here. Your future is in heaven. Your future is with Jesus. My challenge is to quit pretending. I did pretend for a long time. I no longer pretend. You know, a lot of people will accuse me as a pastor of being very blunt. True. I am very blunt. And some people don't attend here because I'm blunt. Maybe some of you do attend here because I'm blunt. But you know what I've learned is that being nice doesn't matter as much as being true. A, a, the wounds of a friend are good. The deceitful words of the enemy are poison. Speak the truth in love. And that's what I intend to do here. 
take the word of God and say, with Jesus Christ, hope, love, joy, peace, all these things are possible in your heart and a hope in heaven. So I challenge you to make it real with God before you leave this place today because you don't know what this day brings or this week. You don't know what trial awaits you that will challenge your faith. And, and it will ask you, is it real? So determine it today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I want to, at this time and as we end, Lord, coming through this amazing chapter, I want to lift up in prayer, Lord, this church and those that are here. Lord, for all of us who, as we go through this chapter, we are just saying amen. We agree over and over. Lord, I thank you that you took so many of us from a life of pain, a life of hurt, a life of just confusion, because we were all born in our trespasses and our sins. For some of us, it took uh, a long time and a lot of pain to come to a place of learning our faith. Others, Lord, some of us, it took a short time, but we've all had the same pathway, Lord. And I thank you for working with us, for reaching down, and for saving us, Lord. Lord, for those that are here this morning, and as we read through this and recount uh, testimony, Lord, and they're saying, yeah, and I've been pretending for a long time, and I've got a lot of these worldly things in my life that are just weighing me down and pulling me aside. And Jesus is something that I say with my lips only. Lord, I pray for those people today that you would work in their heart. Lord, just reveal your love to them this morning. And if they are reaching out and crying out for you, Lord, then I pray that that your spirit would be with them. And Lord, that you would reach out and save them, Lord, if they are reaching out for you. Lord, your word says that if we would but say that we believe and accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, that you would come down and you would save, Lord, that you would put the seal of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and that we would belong to you. And so I pray for those that are reaching out to you, that you would do just that, Lord, honoring your word, that you would become real in their lives, Lord. And uh, Lord, as, as they leave this place, that they would be new people and on a new path, Lord. And though that path is rocky and it is hard, Lord, I pray that you would sustain them and I pray for their faith, Lord, that you would make it real in their lives. I pray for all of us, Lord, your church, that you would make in each of our hearts our faith to become real, that you would challenge our faith, that you would prove our faith, Lord, that we may know that we are sealed and that we belong to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you have done for us and that you continue to do and to work in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.